0: You've been edified this morning in worship? Boy. Folks, I was blown away last night when I saw these 80 or 100 young people up on the platform with their instrumental music and their vocal music. One of our core values here is to raise up worshipers of God from the youngest to the oldest. And when I look up here, and see these young people leading worship. And I think about the fact that as a church, probably we're not going to retain all of these young people throughout their lives. They're going to go away to college, they're going to get jobs moved to other places, but the DNA of our church is going to go with these young people, and they're going to have a heart for worship that they will take into churches all around the country, all around the world, and that excites me, the magnified, multiplied impact of our church on the world through these kids. Mm. Well, this topic this morning has to be the toughest one for me in this entire series. Until I come again, be encouraged. I'm thinking, are you serious, Lord? A person has to deny reality to be encouraged right now. Because beyond this bright, joyous Christmas holiday season looms a big, dark cloud of discouragement. There are just so many negative things happening so fast, it's really difficult to be optimistic. During the first two-thirds of this month of December 2013 alone, we've had so much bad news. A couple of weeks ago... The update came out about our new affordable health care. So far, about a half million people have enrolled while six million have had their health insurance policies canceled. Many more are experiencing dramatic increases in their premiums. Then just this past week, Phil Robertson, patriarch of Duck Dynasty, made statements made statements in an interview for GQ magazine that have been labeled as vile and extreme. He quoted the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 to 11 and did a good job. And he talked about the doom of societies that reject or forsake Jesus Christ and as a result of exercising his constitutionally protected right of free speech The A&E Network has suspended him from his own popular reality television show. So, Howard Stern, perfectly acceptable. Let's pay him millions of dollars. Bill Maher, he's trendy. Let's give him his own show. Phil Robertson, vile and extreme. Fire him. We're nearing the 2,500 mark in fatalities in the 12-year-long Afghan war with at least a decade yet to go, we're told. And at the same time, it has been reported that the enemy, Al-Qaeda, is recruiting more aggressively than ever in several different geographical locations in order to escalate jihad. A U.S. District Judge struck down just this month. A U.S. District Judge shut down a 157 year old law banning polygamy in Utah. Following closely on the heels of the legalization of same sex weddings, many believe that both of these distortions of biblical marriage will soon be common in American society with disastrous consequences, especially especially for women and children. Dr. James Dobson actually predicted this very sequence of events in a book that he wrote in 2004 called Marriage Under Fire. Then just yesterday I learned that Canada's Supreme Court voted nine to nothing to strike down their anti-prostitution laws and i imagine the libertines in the united states will want us to catch up to canada real soon on this one and then this past week north korea threatened that they will strike south korea without notice and this is just this is just representative this list is by no means comprehensive it's just true we live in a world that is besieged by discouragement. Jesus was right. In John 16, 33, when he said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. He said, be encouraged. I have overcome the world. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. So where can we go to be encouraged until Jesus returns? We need to go to our source book. Let's go to the only place where we can consistently have our inner lives fortified and renewed. Let's go to the Word of God. I want to take you to the most encouraging book in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible. Right after the Apostle John's greetings and doxology in the first chapter, here's what he writes. "'I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom." and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice from heaven like a trumpet. Now we know that this book of Revelation was written to Christians who were experiencing extreme persecution and perpetual perpetual discouragement. And John's revelation was given by the Holy Spirit to encourage these early Christians. They had already experienced the original Christmas and the original Easter. Some of the believers in the churches that John wrote to could have been eyewitnesses. And they had placed their faith in Christ and believed His promise that He would come again. In fact, these early Christians were expecting it in their own lifetime. And we are no different than they. As believers, we're not eyewitnesses, but we are faith witnesses of the birth and the life and ministry, and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we believe that He will return for His bride, the church. But here's the question. How can we remain encouraged until His coming again? And the answer? The very same way. That Jesus helped early Christians to be encouraged by reminding them in the book of Revelation of the blessings that are theirs until he comes again. And there are seven of them in Revelation that we're going to lift out this morning and shine a bright light on. And we're going to be encouraged on this weekend before Christmas, regardless of what's going on around us. So today, will you have ears to hear the loud voice from heaven like a trumpet? It's the voice of Jesus, and here's what he's saying. First of all, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Now, only the book of Revelation promises a blessing to any and all who read it and hear it and take it to heart. Of course, the Scriptures were originally written to be read aloud in public assemblies because there were no printing presses for people in the first century. People could not have their their own copies of Scripture. And it was that way until the invention of Gutenberg's Press in 1439, incidentally, the first printed text produced by Gutenberg's Press was the Bible. And today, the public reading of the Bible should be an important part of worship in any and every church. And I hope you've noticed that I try each week to load my messages with Bible. And when I read the Scripture, I try to read it carefully and with the expression necessary to convey its meaning. Listen, how much of the Bible you hear read in worship assemblies? How much of the Bible you hear referenced in a message will tell you a lot about that church. But it's not enough just to belong to a Bible-based church. And it's not enough to faithfully read and hear the Bible read. The blessing of encouragement that Jesus promises here depends on taking it to heart. Folks, the reason for the deepening darkness in our generation both in our society and in people's personal lives, is biblical ignorance. It is biblical illiteracy. People do not internalize the truth of the Bible. And as a result, they can't think. They cannot act in ways that will honor God and bless themselves. Besides the encouragement that comes to us from God's Word as we read it and hear it and take it to heart... We're motivated to daily, faithfully be in the Word because it says here, the time is near. That's the motivation. The time is near. And the warning in this verse could refer, I think, to two things. Number one, John could have been saying to those early Christians, a bad time is near because they were experiencing persecution and perhaps the persecution was going to be accelerated So it could be a bad time is near, or John could be saying the end time is near, referring to Jesus coming again. So these are the reasons why we internalize God's Word. Number one, because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring us in this life. A bad time may be near, and we have to be fortified by the Word of God from within to deal with it. On the other hand, we don't know when Jesus will appear and when time itself will come to an end. Secondly, in Revelation 14, 13, John says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. And at first reading, you know, we're a little confused about this. Blessed are the dead? <laughs> really? How can that be? When we Think of, when we think of death, we associate that with sickness and suffering. We associate that with funerals and cemeteries. And these are not good experiences. Jesus once wept at a cemetery. The Bible calls death our enemy. How can Scripture say, blessed are the dead? Well, the next part of the verse helps us. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Death is not blessed, it's not blessed for everyone. Folks, people have got to stop lying to themselves about this. Now is not the time to go into it, but preceding this verse in the text of Revelation 14 is a very graphic description of the unhappy future facing those who have kept Christ and His church out of their lives. And This verse amplifies the fact that a person's relationship with the Lord makes the critical difference. And I've seen it literally thousands of times, the difference that Jesus makes in a person's life. He makes a difference in the way people think. They think differently in Christ. Life has meaning and purpose. You don't see yourself as an evolutionary accident You don't see yourself as ascending from lower life forms. We have significance. We have dignity. We have worth. I remember when my 64-year-old alcoholic uncle, Loren Eidelman, came to Christ. First time I saw him after he'd become a Christ follower, he said, "Katie, I don't even think the way I used to. He changes the way you think, and He changes the way a person lives. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control begin to spring from the life of a person who comes to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The Lord's presence in a person's life makes the bad person good, the good person better. He also makes a difference in how a person dies. Now, I've been at the bedside of many dying people, and I've seen it up close and personal, that the Lord in a person's life makes a vital difference. Nobody dies like Christians. And then He makes a difference in how a person grieves. Of course, all of us mourn the loss of a loved one. But listen. Listen. Their faith and ours makes a qualitative difference. We do not grieve as those who have, not, who have no hope. Death for us is not goodbye. It's so long. I saw it years ago when I conducted a double funeral for two 15-year-old boys that were run over by a train. In the chapel that day, one family was on one side the other family on the other, on the left side of the aisle, there was deep, inconsolable despair and grief. Sean was gone forever. And on the other side, I looked out on bittersweet expressions of loss, tempered by the knowledge we will meet David again in the greater life. In this verse, we've got the two reasons why the dead who die in the Lord are blessed, even happy. It says, first of all, they're blessed because of what has ended. They will rest from their labor. Now, the word for labor here is a special Greek word that does not refer to work. It's not talking about our jobs. It's not talking about what we do for a living. The word for labor here is a word that means struggles. It means wearisome toil. It's the kind of activities that wear us down. In death, as Christians, we're released from the struggles with our own weakness, our own sin, our own temptation, our own sadness, our own shame, regret, doubt. Revelation two. 21.4 says he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's why we can say blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. They're blessed because of what has ended and then they're blessed because of what will continue. It says their deeds will follow them. We just read it. How does that happen? How do our deeds follow us? in death. Two ways. Number one, because our deeds follow us in this world. Some things end with death. Some things don't end with death. Memories don't end. Influence does not end. The good times, the good words, the good works... Those continue on. Those who die in the Lord leave a legacy that continues to shine bright in the lives of others for years, maybe even generations. Death does not end that if we die in the Lord. Secondly, our deeds follow us into eternity. The Lord knows each one of us from the inside out. He knows the number of hairs on your head this morning. That's the number. That's information that you don't even have. He knows our hearts. He recognizes our faith. Nothing will go unnoticed. Nothing will go unrewarded. And that's what makes the struggles and the difficulties of life worth it all. Here's more encouragement for us. Thirdly, blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked, and be shamefully exposed. I'll bet you've never heard a sermon on this text before. <laughs> just before this in the same verse, Jesus has just said, "Behold, I come like a thief." Revelation chapter 3 verse 3, Jesus also references his coming. He says He says, "But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief." and you will not know at what time I will come to you." So you're blessed if you stay awake and you're dressed to go with the Lord when He comes again. Can you identify with what it's like to be unprepared for some event or some engagement? I wonder if you've ever been asleep and you woke up to realize that you have overslept, you have missed something very important. I can remember as a freshman in college, I thought the way you prepare for a final exam is to study all night. So that's what I did. And right before leaving to go to the test, I had about an hour. I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just take a short power nap right now before I go take the test. Well, I woke up a couple of hours later in a panic, and it, it was too late. <laughs> it was only because of the professor that I was allowed to finish I know what it feels like to wake up and realize you've missed something. And then I have had this this reoccurring nightmare that most pastors have, I understand when I've talked to to some of them, that, that dream that you're standing up to preach and you realize you don't have your trousers on. And you're trapped behind the pulpit. And I'm telling you, I'd be in trouble with this pulpit here this morning. Feels awful. Doesn't it feel awful to be caught unprepared, to be embarrassed, to be ashamed? The scripture says we're blessed when we're awake, when we're alert, when we're expecting the Lord's return, clothed in his righteousness. Fourthly, it says, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. This is chapter 19 of Revelation, verse 9. Is there a happier occasion than a wedding? Perhaps a baptism? Otherwise, weddings pretty well have it. People love to go to weddings because of the contagious joy of the event. And some men even like to go to weddings, don't we men? But here's why we go. We know that something always goes wrong at a wedding... And we're there just to see what it's going to be. (laughs) Have you ever seen America's funniest videos? They always have. They always have wedding footage. Now, when you're invited to a wedding, it, it, it carries with it a certain amount of honor. And here's the thing. All of us, all of us, from the least to the greatest, from the highest to the lowest, all of us, have been invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. So be encouraged this morning that you are loved, you are desired. There is a place for you at this table of saved people sitting down together at the banquet table in heaven. And Jesus promised at the last supper that he would not supper that he would not drink of the cup until he drank it new in his father's kingdom. It's a simple and beautiful picture of the celebration in which we will experience the eternal joy of His presence and His kingdom. If you're not encouraged yet, look at this one from chapter 20 of Revelation, verse 6. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death, referencing hell, has no power over them. Here we're encouraged with the blessing that if we have taken part in the first resurrection, then the second death has no power over us. Stay with me now. Someone has wisely said it like this. If you are born once, you die twice. But if you are born twice, you only die once. In other words... If you only experience a physical birth, then you will experience both a physical death and an eternal spiritual death. In contrast, if you are born twice, if you're born physically, as all of us have been, and then you are born again spiritually, you will only experience death once physically. And for these early Christians, many of whom were being killed for their faith, you know this had to be a great source of encouragement to them. They were being true to Christ even when this loyalty cost them their lives. Physical death for them was a gateway to everlasting life. And the second death, hell, had no power over them because they had a part in the first resurrection. So what's the first resurrection? I consider that to be a reference here, the first resurrection, to be a reference here to Christian baptism, according to Romans 6.5. We have been united with Jesus like this in His death. We will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. Those who have part in the first resurrection, the second death has no power over them. Now, sixth, I want you to see this one from Revelation 22, the last chapter in the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 7. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. And here again, Jesus has just said, behold, I'm coming soon. His application is clear and plain. He's simply talking here about obedience. And there's a difference between what God, knowing what God's Word says and obeying what God's Word says. There's a difference. Why is it so hard for some people to live the straight life? I don't, I don't understand it because it is the good life. It is the superlative life. I recently read the story of Isaac Hunter, 36 years old, father of three, pastor of an Orlando, Florida area megachurch. He committed suicide just A few days ago on December 10th. He had left his church, he confessed to a secret life of shame, he had an affair, he was being divorced by his wife, he was secretly addicted to drugs and alcohol and gambling, and he was unstable. And every time I read one of these stories, I think to myself, how how in the world can this happen? And then I realize how powerful the pull of the world. And the flesh and the devil is out there. It's strong, but it can be resisted. Between the power of our surrendered human will and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to help us live a holy life, it can be done. It must be done. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. Then seventh and last, in Revelation 22, 14, blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates of the city. Now, this blessing here reveals our part in our own salvation. It is Jesus, who in the cross has provided His grace, by which alone we can be Saved, But we have to apply the sacrifice of Jesus to our lives. Those who enter the city of God are those who have accepted the sacrifice of Jesus. And this is how we wash our robes. We accept the righteousness of Christ because we have none. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. As we believe on Him, make Him our Savior, obey Him as our Lord, we wash our robes, and we are blessed. And the only time that we can wash our robes is now, because when Jesus returns, it's too late to wash our robes. That's why Scripture says today is the day of salvation. There's an urgency about this, about, about washing our robes so to stay encouraged in troubled times to remain encouraged till he comes again we've got to wash our robes and be ready for his appearing if we want to have a right to the tree of life if we want to one day walk through the gates of the city the new Jerusalem, heaven we've got to wash our robes be ready for his appearing friends Twenty centuries ago, Jesus came to earth the first time as a helpless infant to reveal the character of God, to make the love of God real, to atone for, to atone for sin. One day he'll come again, not as a helpless infant, but as an invincible warrior to vanquish evil, to establish his eternal reign. He came to that lowly city of Bethlehem so we could one day walk through the gates of the celestial city, the new Jerusalem. He became like us, mortal, so we could become like Him, immortal. He took the form of a servant so that we could reign with Him in heaven. I don't know about you, but that encourages me, and it's going to keep me encouraged until He comes again. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that Jesus began. He began his ministry with the pronouncement of blessings in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And the New Testament closes the book of Revelation that's loaded with Beatitudes, pronouncements of blessing. We embrace them today. Father, we want them to describe for us the boundaries of our life on earth, and to open up for us the unlimited wonders and joys of heaven. So Lord, keep us from being down by your Holy Spirit. Get us up, keep us up, keep us encouraged until Jesus comes again, we pray in his name. Amen.